and welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Claire. And I'm Sebastian. And on this season, we're reading The Ethical Slut, third edition, by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton. in Boston. Where are you, Claire? I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm sitting in my friend's bed in her lovely apartment. Shout out to Nicole. Um, and in this episode, we are reading chapter 12 of The Ethical Slut, which is called Flirting and Cruising, which I didn't know the difference between them until this um, this chapter. I, I've, have you ever used the term cruising? Um, I've heard the term cruising before, but I've always heard it very specifically in the context of gay men. Um, oh, yeah, cruising bars. That's, that's usually where I hear it. And I never really thought about the fact that it's not, it's, it doesn't have to be that specific. It's just that's the most, that's the place where I hear it most often. Well, I had um, never used it or heard it. I thought it would refer to a ship. But what did you think of the chapter as a whole? I like the chapter. Um, it tied together a lot of stuff we've talked about through far so far about consent uh, and about boundaries and about um, slut styles and ties it all together about what flirting um, and pursuing relationships and dating starts to look like for different people, especially from the polyamorous context. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of things that are really similar when you're dating multiple people as when you're dating one person. But maybe when you're initiating contact for the first time, that's that could be one of the spaces when coming from a consensually non-monogamous place or looking for a consensually non-monogamous person uh, will change some of those interactions a little bit. Definitely. And I also think when we're talking about ethical sluttiness, we're just we're, we're still talking about dating and, and pursuing relationships and intimate relationships. And whether you're trying to do that with one person or a lot of people, people aren't good at that. It's a skill you have to practice. So I think we're talking about this and framing some of it around polyamory, but realistically, as with most things, these are skills that everybody can work on in any type of relationship style that they're pursuing. Which brings us to the beginning of the chapter, because that's the very first thing they say. They say that these are skills that um, you learn and probably not overnight. They then make a difference between flirting and cruising from their perspective. So they say that people who, uh, like the distinction isn't click up, but what they use it is, uh, flirting is something you do in a non-erotically charged place. So when you're like, uh, maybe just like at a coffee shop and like you see someone and you flirt. Whereas cruising is something that you might do at like bars or clubs or conferences where like where people often seek out sexual partners. So um, that's one way of thinking about it. They also list that maybe flirting is an introductory maneuver and then cruising is what you do when you know for sure that you're interested. Um, what did you think about those distinctions? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it is a little bit of a grayer where the distinction is. I, I think how I might describe it is like flirting is something in and of itself. Like you can flirt just to be flirty. So flirting isn't like flirting is a, some sort of conversation or something. And there may not be any motivation beyond that, except to have some sort of conversation and, um, like it has an end in itself yeah like um they talk about flirting and cruising um as an exchange of sexual energy 
through body contact, eye contact, um, language, smiles, and things like that. And flirting can be an end in and of itself. You're just having that exchange because it's fun and it feels nice. Whereas cruising, I think, is a much more targeted, like you're trying to initiate something. So flirting may lead to cruising or progress, but could just be in and of itself this sort of flirty behavior, for lack of a better way. Whereas cruising is sort of like this exchange. And there is some goal, like I'm out at this club, I'm chatting you up because you're cute and like, let's make out on the dance floor. So after they have this semantic discussion, they then move briefly into a discussion of the way that gender roles can complicate flirting and cruising. So whatever those social narratives are, whatever distinction you're making, they are saying right at the very beginning that people who are, I mean, they say men, but I would say masculine presenting, are raised in a culture where they are taught that their part of the script of flirtation is to be pushy, is, is to be, um, like, not to take no for an answer. And that women are meant, uh, or feminine presenting people, are sometimes taught that their part of that cultural script is to dodge, act coy, um, and they have had an entire chapter that touched on this. Which chapter was it? I think that was in chapter three, oh. uh, Slut Styles. So they they kind of, I guess, don't go into it like so much here, but they 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 um, they first have a discussion about consent and then they revisit the way that gender plays into it. So I'm, I'm happy with that. I think that it's nice to have that up front because it is like flirting is a cultural script. Having a flirtation is a cultural experience. It's going to look different if you're coming from one side of the patriarchy or the other side of the patriarchy. What I will also say is, and this is kind of becoming a caveat at the beginning of every single episode, is that they're writing this also from the cultural standpoint of being an American and being a white Americans. And they don't necessarily, they talk about gender roles here, but they don't, they don't talk about the way that like disability would play into these cultural scripts. They don't talk about the way that like different cultural backgrounds are playing these scripts. They don't talk about the way that race would play into these scripts. They they really focus the bulk of the discussion of this whole chapter on the way that gender roles will change the experience of flirtation and cruising, and not necessarily other intersections um, within the non-monogamous space. Yeah, that's definitely a, a good shout, and I also think. Um, I mean, these cultural scripts exist and there's a lot more that we can add to it. Uh, another thing that I think is always important to mention is that this book is almost 30 years old and some of these scripts may, you know, are evolving. Um, and that's a good thing to keep in mind. I think a lot of the times when we talk about this, we start to question some of the things they've said, both for the reasons you've stated and because some of this has just changed since they wrote this book. Yeah. Oh, and another thing about another thing about the age of this book that that kind of comes out in this is that um they are very much talking again IRL. They don't talk about online flirtations here. They don't talk about how you flirt like via Tinder or like anything else. They they're really just talking about um in person things. And I think that 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 is a sign of of the times. That now, if I was going to write this book, if it was my book, I would probably include part of this chapter to be about how to engage in those discussions in a safe way, in a fun way, online. Because that is where, like, the majority of, especially conventionally non-monogamous people, I feel like the majority of them meet online. The majority of us 
us delinquents. <laughs> We're like meeting online because it's so hard to have to like, it's kind of a subset of, of maybe a queer space in one place or like you're moving around or I don't know. I, I, I meet everyone online, so it's strange. That's a very good point. Yeah. The last thing I want to add before we dive into the next part of the chapter, um, when they were talking about the gender roles and how those can affect flirting and cruising is that these are all learned behaviors and so they can be unlearned. And we've said that before and we don't need to dive into it, but I think that's an important reminder as we go through all this. So with that, let's dive into the next section, which is called saying yes and saying no. So which is talking about consent uh, and dives a little bit into boundaries again, which we talked about in the last chapter. Um, what were your thoughts on this section, Claire? Um, well, I appear to have rewritten the title of it, saying no and saying yes, because I think that this is more about how you said this part is more about how, how it's okay to say no. So I want to state up front that um, no is a complete sentence. To caveat everything they're going to talk about here about learning how to say no in a way you feel comfortable with, no is a complete sentence. Consent can be given and it can be not given with with one word you don't need to caveat it um consent can also be withdrawn at any time you cannot give consent if you're a minor you cannot give um, you cannot give consent if you are under the influence you cannot give this consent if you are sleeping like i feel like that needs to be set up front which they don't do in this book in this section they dive right into the trick of learning how to be comfortable with saying no they talk about people having problems saying no Many men are, are taught, like, saying no would be unmasked, like, unmasculine, is that a word? Sure. Non-masculine. Un- Not unmanly. Um, and many women are kind of, like, again, socially taught, but they say it's a bit unfeminine to say no directly. So basically saying no to sex is, like, all round. Everybody finds it bad for some reason. For some reason. Um, and... When they go into this, they, they talk about saying, no thanks. Like, you seem nice, but I'm not really much connection with you. No thanks. I'm not really looking for lovers right now. No thanks. I prefer to get to know people a lot better before I can do something like that. And they, again, they don't say this, but you also don't have to say thank you or give any reason. You can just say no, walk away if it's safe to do so. I do think, though, I, I agree with you in the in the general discussion of consent, but... I think the reason they're phrasing it like that here is if you're talking about um, in the flirting and cruising context, if somebody's approaching you and it's not unsafe or it's not uncomfortable. Um, you just yell no and run away. Yeah, you're right. That's not really in the spirit of the thing. Right. It's, it's contextual. Um, in the context of what they're talking about, they're trying to find ways to not feel like awkward about responding to flirting or approaching flirting and when you're talking about the the gender roles that we just talked about where there are these ingrained cultural things thinking of how to break those those cultural um, patterns of approaching sex and comfort with sex and saying no having that kind of like a way to structure in your mind Um, what i wrote on the side here is actually about boundaries Um, one of the sentences right like they said, no thanks, you seem nice, but I'm not feeling that much of a connection. Remind me of the boundaries of like owning your own decision, owning yourself. That is such a good shout. 
So I guess we can probably just signpost people to listen to our previous episodes. So episode six is specifically about consent and episode 11 is about 10. Episode 10 is about boundaries. So go back and listen to those to kind of help you to be, to be informed about like what they're talking about. Definitely. And then after they talk about saying no, they talk about saying yes, backwards to how they titled the chapter smaller section, but they say we also should practice how we say yes. Please explain why this part is, is, is structured this way. Okay, so practicing saying yes. They say, that, they say that practicing saying yes is an equally important skill, and it's not just about, again, when we talk about consent, it's not just like a passive, okay, I'm going to go along with this, but it's an active, like, yes, I want to do this, or yes, but I have a certain limit or yes, I need to figure this out first or yes, let's figure out when we're going to do this and being engaged in that process. And if you practice um, saying no and feel comfortable saying no, they say, you will also start to feel more comfortable saying yes and how you approach that. So before we can say yes or no, we need to talk about how you actually, what, how do you actually get to the point where you're listening a yes or a no from the person you're engaging with? Um, and what Darcy Easton and Janet Hardy talk about here is they very much base this part of the chapter, The Fine Art of Flirting, in what I would say is a very neurotypically biased way of thinking about people. Um, they talk about babies and toddlers. They learn from a really young, young age that eye contact and smiling, um, signs of, of love, smiling. You kind of learn these when you're a kid. So they claim, and I was immediately like, hold on, hold on now. Like, what if you're on the spectrum? Like, maybe they should be talking about like hidden disabilities and neurodivergent people. And unfortunately, they don't really, they don't really do that in this part of the book or any so far part of the book. But it was one of the things that I first noticed. What did you think about this section? Um, I didn't think about that, um, if I'm honest, um, and that probably shows the time that they wrote this in and other stuff. But I, what I took out of what they started with is that, you know, flirting is just a type of social interaction. Um, but what I took out of it was their next line, which is a lot of us lose that ability, that sort of eagerness that babies have to just make social connections in one way or another. Like as you grow up, people sometimes lose that for, for any number of reasons, um, developmental, um, cultural, societal, family issues, traumas, whatever it is. Um, some people do lose those abilities that, that babies sort of have naturally as part of development. Um, and you end up maybe needing to learn them from scratch. And then my next line, which is my favorite so far is, great flirting should be an end in itself rather than a means to an end, which I'm a strong believer in. Yes, I also highlighted that. I think that is a really good way of thinking about flirting. It's, it also takes the pressure off. This is something that you're going to practice. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to get rejected. If it's the end in itself, it doesn't feel so scary. It's good to frame that in your mind. Um, and that's exactly what they start talking about. It's how, how you practice this. Um, like how, and I, I picked out three steps, I think, in the next page um, as to like how to initiate flirting but basically they talk about it's like a hunger to be seen it's like people naturally want to be seen they want to connect and flirting is just fun because because it is fun it's not 
not because we need to procreate. It's not because we need to uh, become in love with the person that we'll spend the rest of our life with. Flirting is fun because we have that natural, we have that inclination to want to be seen by someone else, to want to like make connections. Um, so did you pick up on the same steps as I did? I think that's the next question I have for you. What, what steps like? I don't know the steps that you picked up. Well, did you pick up any steps? No, I didn't break it out into steps. So what, what are the steps that you picked out of there? You said there were three. Yeah. So the first one is nonverbal connection. So that's when they're talking about things like holding an eye contact for longer than usual. Um, or the, you know, like the, the side glance, I suppose, um, turning your body to face them, uncrossing your legs, smiling. Um, then step two is words. You make a sincere personal, but non-sexual compliment to start. So they give the example of like, like, I don't know, someone's new haircut or something, physical appearance. Um, but Oh no, not the physical parents. Sorry. Um, so mate, this is like your, your, uh, you've shown with your body step one, and now you're going to make contact verbally. Um, and then step three is watching for feedback. So if like that, that's it, you've done your part. Does this person reciprocate? And then you're looking for things like, did they step back? Did they cross their arms? Did they not look you in the eye? Did they just sort of like not respond to what you said? In which case, this person obviously is not super interested in continuing to form this connection and step away gracefully. Or if they're like, oh, thanks, my name's, my name's Claire. It's lovely to meet you. I also like your haircut. Maybe, maybe this is the beginning of a flirtation. So that, that's what I got out. What did you think about that? Yeah, I see those laid out. And I, I agree with all of that. I think that's usually how flirting would be approached. Um, I just, I didn't like highlight them specifically, that, but I, I agree with it. Um, the one thing I would sort of point out or sort of my addition on that when they're talking about words um, and the compliment is it's not, like you said, it's not just like comment on their body. Like you don't walk up and like make eyes across the room and you're like, oh, and then you walk and like, hey, nice ass. Um, probably, right? Like it's a real, I wrote like a specific like a, a specific genuine compliment or observation about something. So like, wow, that's a really beautiful earring you're wearing or wow, the, I don't know. Oh, I've read that book. I, I see that you're reading that book. I've read it. I think some people can struggle to have that in. Um, and that, that includes like people who like, we're, we're going to not talk about complicating factors here, like neurodivergent people people who are maybe not gender binary like even even people who have like you know the cultural script is basically written for you i think people would still have problems with that and here's why because i don't think that a lot of our culture even here in like america or the uk uh makes strangers randomly talking to you even if it's non-sexual okay like if I was standing in a bookshop and I was reading and I saw a cute person and I was like, ah, oh, this person like looks cute. I feel a natural attraction. I don't really like, and I'm quite flirty and I, I don't think I'd be able to sort of walk up to him and be like, hi, I like your jeans. I don't know. <laughs> well, especially right like that. Hi, I like your jeans. <laughs> okay, bye. But I think that, that that is like the hardest one to practice and the more you practice it, 
the more you get rejected and then the rejection helps you to get better at it and to feel more comfortable with yourself. Um, I, I have to disagree with you a little bit, Claire, because when we've been out and like on the train or walking around or going into shops, I think this is something that you do. I do? Not in a, yeah, not in like a really deep way. Like you stop and flirt with somebody for 10 minutes, unless it's a dog. Um, <laughs> we can't actually... We can't actually walk anywhere without like factoring in a good 30 minutes for puppies. It took me so long to go to Whole Foods. <laughs> um, but what I was saying, you know, when we're like, if we're out on the train and you see somebody who's wearing a really cool jacket or a skirt or pants or like really cool boots, or if we're in a shop and you see somebody's nails or their makeup, you call that out for them and like it, just compliment them on them in a really quick way. And like, I see people like light up when you do that. Oh, that's so nice. And I haven't even noticed that I do that. And it's, we've talked about it before and you've said it to me um, about doing that and like picking something really specific and like acknowledging people. And I think that's, when we're talking about flirting and thinking about it this way, it's about you know, letting people feel seen and appreciated. And it doesn't have to have all those cultural undertones of like trying to get in bed with somebody or trying to take somebody home, right? Flirting is about that exchange of energy and letting somebody feel seen and acknowledged and appreciating and sharing that with them. And that can be one quick comment on the train, or that can be like a, just a lingering glance where you like make eye contact and that's it. Um, or a, a conversation that that's just it. Um, and before we keep going with the chapter, I do want to highlight something that we sort of a part of this that we went past. Um, they talk about like, for example, like gay men who flirt with women, right? Or like heterosexual men who are still flirty with other guys, which I find all the time. Um, like being flirty and complimenting each other. Like there's some guys that I work with who are completely, probably straight as far as <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. But we have super flirty and like friendly relationships and we like compliment each other and like, and that's all it is, but it's just a nice aspect to the relationship. Um, and there doesn't have to be anything more than that. And I, I think it's, it's just, it's a really flirting for the sake of flirting with anybody is nice. It, it makes you feel good. It makes the other person feel good and people should do it more and feel less uh, weird about it and practice because practice makes perfect. Mm, it I. I mean, I've definitely gotten better with practice. Aww. Um, no, the reason why I kind of like one of the things that, um, that this like step-by-step step, I think it's interesting that you didn't pick out the steps but what because I did I started being like hmm, where else have I seen like step-by-step step of like how to flirt oh yeah it's like these weird pickup artists who will like, teach guys how to like trick women into like engaging with them presumably because they are so terrible at engaging with women on their own terms um and so I just want to say like that's not what they're doing here because the intention it, it, all the way through these steps is like, if you, if you want to be seen, which you do, then you need to see other people as more than just a means to an end. You need to see other people as more than just a bunch of body parts stuffed together for you to explore. You need to see people as who they are and you get to know them. And that's the beginning that is, is what we call flirtation, I think. Let's talk about coming out. Because this is going to be the biggest difference between when you're flirting as someone who is um, sort of not challenging monogamous scripts of, of what they're expecting and when you're flirting 
but at some point that moves to cruising maybe or you have boundaries in place that require you to disclose that you are non-monogamous or in a non-monogamous relationship. Now, we've spoken about coming out before in a previous episode, but I mean, I'll be damned if I remember what we spoke about. So let's, let's redo it. <laughs> we did talk, we talked a little bit about it in boundaries. I remember this only because we said, you know, if, you, if you're polyamorous, one of your first boundaries you're going to talk about is the fact that you're polyamorous. Um, and I remember that we said then, but like how you approach that and how you bring that up and when varies by people and context and whatever. So I, I think we should just, let's just do it again right now in this context, because that's important. Yeah. But before we do this, um, I want to signpost a episode that is entirely dedicated to what to do before you're coming out, um, from the probably poly podcast. I think it's like episode 23 or something, but I'll link it in the show notes, um, there is many complicating factors about coming out um, in terms of where you are in the world, like who you are, um, like yourself, with like maybe how much practice you've had, what the safety standards are that you have. There's a lot of complicating things, which shockingly, Easton and Hardy don't talk about in this section of coming out. But um, go and check out that podcast for like a longer part of it. What they say in here is, if I think I can sum this up, is they suggest that sooner rather than later is better. Um, you are going to potentially be, be talking to people who don't really understand it as well. So that's something to remember. Um, and the sooner you, that, you, that you bring it up, the sooner that you can, I guess, move past it and see if this person is still interested. Um, they suggest that a second date might be a good time, but that there's no hard and fast rule. And they also suggest that just referencing partners in the plural probably does the trick. It usually starts a conversation if that person wants to have that. Um, so you, they also suggest just leaving this book out, the ethical slut, just leaving it out for people to see. I was like, all right. <laughs> um, what are some ways that, that you've uh, segued a conversation early on in a flirtation? Because this was something that at the beginning of our relationship, actually, I remember you were really nervous about it. And now you're just like, yeah, I don't, you know, I practice this. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, well, I think this comes back to your point right at the beginning about online dating, right? Um, a lot of people I meet are through online dating. Um, and the first thing on my profiles is polyamorous, ethically non-monogamous by that. Like, it, I'm like right up front, like, this is me. And then I put some stuff about tacos and dogs and whatever you're supposed to put on Bumble profiles. Um, right. But like, that's right out there. Um, and usually then depending on how the conversation goes, like if, if I start chatting with somebody, um, you know, I may mention something about other partners um, or, you know, people will ask me and then I can dive right into it. Like I put it there and some people will ask right away. Some people won't. Um, and if it doesn't come up right away, I usually, I don't necessarily bring it up in text, but I will bring it up within one or two dates. So what's the, like the, the longest you would, like for you personally, would leave it before you informed them that you had other partners and that you weren't looking for anything monogamous or like, and also how would you phrase it? Putting you on the spot, sorry. That's right. Um, probably three dates. It's not a hard and fast rule because everything is like situations change and you have to read the situation, right? Um, and it depends on 
where the relationship is going and what you're doing. But I would say probably typically within the first two or three dates, I would want to have some sort of conversation about it. Um, mostly because it's a lot of work not to, right? Like I tend to be very open um, with anybody that I'm dating. Like I, I don't want to have to like catch myself and not mention. Oh yeah, I think that's that. That right? is the Holocaust rule. If you've got so far into flirtation that now you're having to like carefully choose your words to avoid informing and like letting slip that you have another partner, um, that is the time to have that conversation. Like once it's more effort to not tell them than to tell them, you definitely reach that point. I think that that's fair. I think that's the easiest way to think about it, right? Like, so if I'm talking about my weekend plans and my weekend plans include spending six hours working on the podcast. The podcast, is, the podcast by the way, is like a great way of getting this like in there. Cause I'm like, yeah, you know, this is what I do with my time. I do this, I do this, these are my jobs. And then I also have this project, which is this. And then they're like, oh, what's it on? And I'm like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Here we, right, but, right, like I wouldn't be able to talk about my, I mean, I work on this every week. It would be very hard to talk about my week and avoid this. Um, or I travel quite regularly to see you, for example. So it would be very hard to not talk about that. But I think it really depends. Um, they shout out, like, if you're, like, say you're at a bar and you meet somebody and you're going home for a, a fling for one night, is it necessary to bring it up to, to dive into the depths of your dating life? No. So you don't think that, um, that the person that you're about to have sex with in this hypothetical situation has like almost the right to know that you are non-monogamous because i don't but i'm just asking you, if you not... no i don't think they need to know that you're not monogamous i think you have to be honest about your sexual health yeah 100 percent. right but, that, like, that's but you know that doesn't being honest about your sexual health doesn't mean you have to dive into while well, i i have this partner and I date this person sometimes and this and that. Oh, right? although that, that might be a great a great opportunity to have that. I mean, we would hope um, that people are having discussions about sex before they're having sex. Obviously, it doesn't always happen, but at some point between flirtation and um, and intimate activities, some point between flirtation and intimate activities, there's bound to be a conversation, or there should be a conversation about health and boundaries, and that might be a really good time to. To bring it up um mm-hmm. i'm just trying to think if i've I, if, if i if i've ever had rejection after bringing it up i probably have but I just just don't remember because they they don't talk about the rejection here like you might be flirtation might be going super super well then you decide to disclose this and then the person is like oh no not for me i don't want i don't want to be there so Um, I've had that happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to somebody and, um, I think we went on our first date, actually, like we'd been talking, we'd been chatting very flirty, um, and it hadn't sort of popped up in conversation. And I decided to just wait until we went on to this first date and have that conversation face to face. And at some point I brought it up and they were like, okay, that's cool. Live your life. But I'm not into that. And that's not what I'm looking for. How did you feel about that? Because I think that I would be like, oh, I should have told them sooner. So we could have saved ourselves some time that was this date. Yeah, I, I did. And I think it's, it's informed, you know, as you pointed out, like I, when I first started dating, I was really openly poly. Um, I struggled with how to bring that up and when to bring it up. And basically my, my feeling the longer that I have been out in poly proud is uh, 
rather bring it up sooner than later, like plastered all over my, my social media and my dating profile and, and bring it up right away. Cause it's, it's not going to change. And if that's not going to work for somebody, like we're setting boundaries, if that's, if that's going to be a hard boundary for somebody. Mm. So they, they don't talk about, about online dating on here, but every example that you're giving here is like made easier with online dating. So I guess let's just take a moment to like, thank you. Thank you to online dating apps that have enabled people with alternate relational choices to, to more, more evenly sip out their potential partners. Thank you. Okay, so um, again, I want to leave the book behind for a second here because I think it's important to talk about like if you're flirting, it's going super well. You found like some common ground. Maybe you guys are going on a date. You've told them. I think one of three things is going to happen here. In order of least likely to most likely, they're going to be like, cool, me too. They're going to be like, oh, that's not for me. Uh, goodbye. But for me, the most common one that I get is when they're like, oh, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And you now have to do a certain amount of emotional and edu educational labor that is going to take this flirtation to like the next level where they see more of you, they understand more of you. And this is a really uh, kind of a big task sometimes. And I feel like some people who are, who are consensually non-monogamous are in consensually non-monogamous relationships. They don't, they don't necessarily want to become your personal lecturer on how that is. Like they just don't want to be like necessarily having to like speak for all poly people. Um, so it's really, it's really important to be aware of that when you're thinking about, okay, is this the time that I want to tell this person? Because you might end up having to sit down for like a long ass time and explain this very foreign concept to somebody who let's be honest, like you've just started dating. Make sure you have like the mental reserve for that. Make sure you're aware. Make sure you're ready for that. You know, I wouldn't, I would suggest doing this somewhere where you can sit down. <laughs> like, because I have had to do that so often. Again, online dating helps because people can, who ask me things that they can easily Google, I'm also like, I'm not your personal lecturer. Like, just go Google it. But if you're doing it in person, this person will have questions and you need to be able to make sure that you've thought, thought about how you're going to answer those and make sure that you personally are equipped to answer that. Definitely. And with that, now we've done all the flirting, we're getting better at it. What are the challenges of cruising? Uh, and that's the next section they dive us into. Um, like, okay, you, we figured out flirting. Um, what are the specific challenges when you're cruising and trying to move beyond just that flirtatious energy and maybe to the next step? Yeah, and they do that, but they do that specifically through the lens of gender. So this is a very like gender intersectional book, I guess, but they don't, again, they don't talk about the ways that your race, your ability and disability, uh, your cultural background, they don't talk about the way that language barriers, for example, might, might play into those challenges. They very much just talk about this in terms of a gendered lens. Um, so that's how we're going to talk about it on this podcast and on this episode, because we're reading this book, but um, it's important to know that like, any fourth edition, let's say, major feedback is like put some race in here. At the very least, like there needs to be something in here about the ways that the power structures and other intersections can complicate um, or challenge uh, your cruising attempts, which essentially I think they mean here basically trying to 
what are they talking about with cruising? Is it just flirtation? I'm confused. It's sort of, it's a little bit more about flirtation and then how do you sort of, um, like making that jump from, from just flirting to, um, what do we call cruising? Flirting with intent. Flirting with intent to consummate. Exactly. All right. The first section is, first section is for men. So uh, do you want to talk about some of the cruising challenges for men that these two yeah. female people suggest? Yeah. I'm sure that they have, have had, had enough um, exposure. Yeah. Um, okay. Take it away. Yeah. So this is not just challenges, but also about styles. Like what does cruising for men look like? And we talked about this earlier in Slut Styles too, about how, um, especially in the, in the gay male community, there's very different dynamics at play about the fact that like when, when men flirt with other men, um, it can be much more forward and direct because there isn't that same power disparity, societal power disparity. And so you can just approach somebody and flirt and be very straightforward or express what you want very straightforwardly because there's no concern that the person won't be able to say no. And there's no problem with receiving a no. Um, so in, in that sense, like it's a, it's a very different dynamic. I've definitely found that to be true in, in how, in how men flirt versus, or how I would flirt with men versus how I flirt with, with women and that men rely on more directness. They rely on body language and nonverbal cues and that then they have no problem like using their words if they feel like their body language isn't being met. So it's a very direct form of like, we're flirting and then I can be like, Hey, do you want to go home with me? And then if it's no, it's cool, move on. And if it's yes, then it's yes. And there isn't that power disparity. Um, but when they talk about men flirting with women, there are some different challenges or different considerations. Let's not call them challenges. One, because there is that power disparity or those cultural scripts. And so women don't want to feel pressured, they say, or pushed or overwhelmed, or like a man is being really aggressive. So men have to you know, be more aware of how they're approaching. And they highlight these here, men who push too hard for like private get-togethers or phone numbers or trying to move things to really sexual areas right away, which is just really skeezy. And every time I hear a female friend or you talk about men who do this, I'm just like, why, dude? Why? I say no one can see this, but I'm like nodding aggressively. Just like very vigorously agreeing. Every single woman that's listening to this podcast right now has had a man come onto them and just be completely overwhelmingly like sexual facing. Every single woman that's listening to this will have had a man come onto them and within the space of like almost no time at all expect to have a date or expect to have a number or expect to be discussing sexual stuff. And I'm talking like online and in person. And like, I don't, I wonder, do guys even realize how like off-putting that is? Well, can I, can I point out that the last part of this that they talk about? Um, this sentence, many a man has made the mistake of approaching a woman in the way he thinks he would like to be approached if he were a woman. And so sometimes I think people like men literally don't. They're like, yeah, I would like somebody to come and be direct with me. And it's like, I know. I know what this girl's really going to like. If I come up to her and like, here's my number, here's a picture of my dick. That's going to work. Has that ever worked in the history of ever? Of ever? Like, I, I mean, it must do. Probably not consistently, no. But like, I just can't imagine anything more off-putting than being like, hello, you know nothing about me. Here are my genitals and my number. 
nobody's gonna be like wow like there's no penis that's big enough or amazing enough or famous enough where like that alone is all the information i need to know i'm ready for some more I would love to meet Sir Penis, but it seems unlikely that it exists. I mean, it's just, uh, we're talking about daily day, like day to day interactions with people. That's it. You don't even. It's not like Ryan Reynolds is walking up to you and. So much. I mean, that, that's a whole other thing. Um, Hello, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, can I just, I'm going to just wrap this up because we're right about at the end of it. Okay. Uh, um, is it like for successful, successful male cruisers? need to be sensitive to verbal and nonverbal cues and convey friendly interest and appreciation for the fascinating human being in front of them. Yes, I highlighted that as well and said, this might be hard to do if you don't see women as people. Exactly. So that's a, that's a very good point. Um, and if we remember that flirting and then eventually cruising is about acknowledging and appreciating the person in front of you as a person in front of you, and not going into it with some ulterior motive of I want to get you into bed, but just I want to get to know you. And then if it gets, if we end up somewhere else with our clothes off, that's great. But that's not my end goal. You're going to do this much, much more better. Much more better. I hope. Okay. So that next yeah. section is for women. Um, and they don't make the distinction between um, women loving women or women loving men. So they just say for all women of all orientations. It's, uh, there are basically two things that we can improve on to help us in our cruising. One is to be uh, more assertive and the other is to be snaps for being assertive. Um, and the other one is to risk rejection more, which is kind of, I guess, the same thing. Um, and I want to speak a little bit on that. And then I want to talk about the differences between women loving women and women loving men. Because like we are taught as women that our role in the sexual in the sexual flirtation script is to be pursued um and feminine presenting people should be like quiet and coy and mysterious and eventually someone will just come along and take us by the hand and sweep us off our feet and other metaphors associated with moving women around like their objects but the times are changing we are not like that anymore i'm I was speaking to a friend who has, she's female and has relationships with other people with that have vulvas. And she said that like her MO is just like, they flirt, they get on. Once it's time to move into cruising, she's just like, I think we should have sex. And the person is like, oh, okay. And how would that happen? They're usually pretty shocked, but they're like, yes, I will do that. Or I don't, I don't want to do that. And then it's like, that's, couldn't be more assertive. Um, <laughs> couldn't be more upfront. But when doing that, you do risk rejection, and rejection can be really scary, especially because we live in a culture where we, as women, are taught that like part of our value is tied to how much we're wanted, and therefore being rejected by somebody is basically being told you're valueless. And that is, again, not the case. You're valuable even if nobody wants you. You're valuable even if you go to the sex club and you have no sex, no one wants to have sex with you. You're valuable if you go and you ask that person on a date and they say, no, you misread the signal horribly, just think of you as a friend. You're still valuable. And that sense of self-worth that needs to kind of shift from this socialized, like, oh, you're only valuable if you wanted to more of a, you're great, ask the dude out. Um, when you're, when I've had experiences flooding with women, though, I've noticed that like 
there is, at least in the kind of subcultures that I've been in, um, there is a stud femme divide. Does that mean anything to you as a as a non queer woman, as a non queer non woman? Um, I, I a little bit. I mean, I I know those terms. Um, okay. Well, stud and femme are like two kind of styles, I guess, of lesbians or queer women. Uh, stud can be like soft stud. Like, there's many like many derivatives of this, but basically, if studs who are uh, maybe slightly more masculine presenting and expected to be really assertive. Um, and you have femmes, I, I self-identify as a femme queer woman. Um, and they they look very like uh, heteronormatively feminine. Uh, but what's interesting is that within the subcultures that I've been in, the femmes are the ones that are really assertive. The femmes often do the coming on. And I think it's because of this, well, this is what I was told. I think it's because every stud woman has at some point like gone up to a girl that they thought they were vibing with and asked them out and that girl's like, oh, I'm straight. And so I know. Which is like very sad, like, because you put in a lot of effort to get to know this person and like, oops. Um, but that means that like, now it's the fence turn. Like women come on down. Like if you're interested in me, you need, you need to show it because the whole of society has taught me that someone that looks like you shouldn't be interested in this. And there's a whole bunch of other like intersections here to unpack. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because I'm, I'm super, uh, I'm a little lot more assertive when I'm coming on to men. And I'm pretty assertive when I'm coming on to men. True. Okay, so the next section they talk about is for trans and non-binary people, which is a good time to stop and just check ourselves. So we have been talking about men and women. What we've really been talking about there is uh, people with penises and people with vulvas who also identify as men and women. Any, if those two specific things, that pie chart of things, it's not you, you're trans and non-binary. Um, and this is a big addition into this, this is big addition into this edition. Yeah. See what I did there? Nailed it. Nailed it. I see. Um, and they're here they do speak about cruising online, actually. They talk about how personal safety can be improved and you can be more direct about the object of your of your affection. Um, and they also talk about how when you are approaching somebody as let's say you're a trans woman and you're approaching somebody as a trans woman, they have had to um, explain quite a lot of things. Um, within that so you know how earlier I was talking about when you come out as, as non-monogamous you might have to explain loads of stuff bear in mind that you like coming like coming on to somebody and cruising as trans and non-binary you already have that whole thing that you might have to explain um, and that's a lot of educational labor what they say here is nobody wants to spend all their flirting time teaching gender 101 and finally they talk about how flirting with uh, trans non-binary people they have said, I'm going to read it. Many of our trans friends recall being the catalyst for someone's re-examination of their assumptions about their sexual identity. Now, I think that it's fair to say that there is a lot more about the intersection between non-monogamous flirtations and trans non-binary interactions. And no trans person that's in your scene, that's in your community, that's, that, that you're flirting with, owes you anything in terms of their explanations and owes you anything in terms of like being your catalyst or like oh before you I'd never thought about it now I'm so so much more interested they 
like no one owes you anything because in this book they're talking about it like like the, like the, there is added value to dating a trans person because you might get like more woke or whatever I don't really like that's how it came across to me and I'm like yeah you know what no like just because someone's trans or not binary doesn't mean they off they have to give you an explanation doesn't mean they have to be the catalyst for your sexual identity assumptions being revised like they can just you flirt with them in the exact same way you flirt with anybody else and they are no more or less likely to understand your nominomy than anyone else there are intersectional issues but i just think that they missed it in this part of the book so i see what you're saying there but i i didn't read that section quite the same way about being a catalyst i i, I don't i didn't take it them it as them saying like if you're trans like it's your job to help somebody re-examine their assumptions right or that you owe anybody anything um or that you need to come out before you're ready but i i do think in terms of you know when they're talking about cruising and flirting and and pursuing people um, or with the intention of having some sort of intimate contact. One thing they said here was even when you're cruising in person, it's worth keeping in mind that lots of people have things they need to disclose before things start getting hot and heavy, which can be health issues, uh, having other partners, sexual limits, and so on. And for you, if you're trans, that might include that you're trans and it might not. Um, you know, that, that those are all things that you have to decide how you approach them. Right? Just like we said, if you're non-monogamous, you have to decide how you're going to bring that up and when. But I, I think what they were getting at here, and, and I liked it, is not that the trans friends felt like they had to educate people, but in the process of flirting and getting to know people and them getting more comfortable, um, and then sharing that part of their identity with someone, it sparked a self-examination or a reflection on their own, the person's assumptions about sexual identity or about orientations and things like that. So I took it more as building those relationships and being able to have open conversations and be connected with someone could lead to really good discussions and where someone might be, might not have been exposed to this by being exposed to this, might re-examine previously held beliefs. Yeah. I can see what you're saying, and I think that your reading is a, is a lot kinder to the authors. I think I'm just being very critical because they they often are speaking for people like they don't they are not from that that um, I don't know they did it with asexuals as well. Like it felt a bit like if this this section felt a little bit like they were persuading non-monogamous people, the white trans people, all at their time, and I I got upset about it. So this is probably a kinder reading. I think we obviously they've only written one page on it, so we don't know. Do you want to take us on for the next one? Because the next one is for couples and groups. Um, before you go into it, I will point out that they do have a, like a whole chapter in chapter twenty on couples and groups. So they're just talking about it very quickly here. But you have had more experience dating couples than I have. Um, so maybe you should present this part of the book. Yeah, sure. There, this part for couples and groups is more targeted to if you are part of the couple or group that's going out to flirt or pick someone up. Um, but I can start by sharing sort of my perspective being on the other side. I, I just think, you know, when you're, if you are in a couple or a group going out to pursue another person, uh, it's about really being upfront with what you're looking for and being open about the situation. And remembering that the person that you're pursuing is still a person and treating them as such and not as a how do they refer to this? Oversized marital aid. <laughs> uh, 
So if, if you are a couple and you're looking for another person to just come in and like purely for sex and you're not looking for a, a more significant relationship, like be upfront about that. And if somebody is, is on board with that, then great. And you can have a fun time and move on. They also talked about how, like, if you're cruising on that, like realize that can be really intimidating to someone like, Hey, nice to meet you. And here are my four friends that would all like to go home with you. Um, so being on this sort of end of it, like I've had only good experiences really with people that people have been really upfront. Like I always appreciate when people are upfront about what they're looking for. And I'll ask people if I'm like approaching a couple, like, what are you looking out for out of this situation? So that I know. Well, I will say about this section, actually, as I'm, as I'm listening to you talk about it, is that when you're cruising solo versus cruising as a couple, though the only time that full disclosure is necessary and mandatory, I think, at the beginning of any kind of interaction is when you're cruising as a couple. Whereas I think about it as being very much optional and suited to the needs of, of individual flirtations, like one-on-one didactic flirtations. You can, like, there's a lot more flexibility about when you can disclose. You're going out with like, let's say your partner or your two partners or whatever. The full disclosure they say here is the ethical part of ethical slurhood. Like you need to be so, so much more upfront about it. Um, that was just, just something that I'm noticing as you're talking about it. I'm sure that they're going to dig into how to do that. Um, in the requisite chapter, but that was definitely uh, different to the groups that they were talking about previously. Yeah. Um, can I tell you the one other part of this I really liked? If you're, um, they're talking about like, if you're on a date, like, so for example, if you and I were on a date and realized that somebody was making eyes at us or we noticed somebody sending the other person over to like, give them your number. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, the this is Dossie's strategy, yeah. right? So like, if she's out with her, Oh, it says longtime lover. I thought it said husband, but if she was out with her longtime lover, she would send him over with her number and be like, hey, my lady friend would, would like you to have her phone number. And I was like, that's that's a good move. I like that. that is, we should try that at some point when we're actually in the same city again. Yeah. Um, um, is there anything else you want to say on this, on this couple and groups bit? Um, I mean, they put a lot. They had actually a lot more in here than on some of the other sections, but I, I don't think there's... I think I've sort of hit the highlights for me from my end that, you know, touch on my experience and my thoughts on it. Do you have anything else? I would just say that, like, you said that you've you've only really had good experiences in terms of when you've been picked up by couples or groups. And I have never had a good experience being picked up by a couple or a group. I don't really know why, obviously. It's just anecdotal, um, not super academic. But I think there's a lot more, like, expectations and, like, predefined role of, like, how I should fit into somebody's lovemaking or household as a woman, as a hot by a babe, let's say. Like, that's the term that people use, right? And it, because there's, like, a lot more of, like, a predefined role, there seems to be less space for me to just be, like, myself. Maybe maybe this has happened in person or, like, after a couple of dates. But, like, I can now catch it kind of quickly, the unicorn hunters kind of quickly. And, um... You get you get better at it as time goes on. And I'm sure people also get better at like dating as a couple as time goes on as well. So with that, they kind of round off the chapter about flirting and cruising. And I just kind of want to read directly from the book because I think that the end of this book kind of does quite a good job of rounding itself off, therefore eliminating the need for us to do it. So they say, the best and most successful and least obnoxious cruisers we know of all genders and orientations are friendly, curious folks who, like most people, and are interested in talking to everyone. If some of the people they talk to in turn into potential relationships, so much the better. Yes, this. When you find yourself this or this, 
Um, that that sentence, like that, for me sums up the whole point. <laughs> Flirt because it's fun and you like it and everybody's happy. And if it's something else happens, great. And if not, you're happy because you flirted and everybody was happy and they felt good. Sorry, I had to like, it's, it's such a, so important to me. Oh, I love it. Whereas the bit that was really important to me was, it does you no good to attack someone who thinks you are somebody else. All you get is someone who's excited about somebody who isn't you. When you are honest, you attract the people who are interested in you, just as you most wonderfully are. You most wonderfully are. Aw, thank you. You can find Polly Pages on Instagram at Polly Pages. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to send them to pollypages at gmail.com. Our awesome intro and outro music is by Mint Green, and you can follow them on Instagram and Linktree at Mint Green Music. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Books.